What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Friday, January 19th, 2024. As always, I am PK alongside my co-host, Phil. Phil, I don't know about you, but uh, I would much prefer Buffalo winners to be spread out rather than just you get hit with everything within like a five-day period. I'm in the North Towns, like Niagara Falls, so I have no idea what even the South Towns are going through, and I have complete sympathy for you, but I've had enough of it. It's just, it's annoying to the fact of anytime you think you're done for the day, you look out your front window and there's no more snow. You got to go either snow blow or go shovel. Yeah, I've had to... Uh... Oh my god, starting already. Uh, apologize right off the bat. I sound and uh, don't look great, so it's going to be a little bit of a rough episode from me. If you're listening, apologize. A little bit sick, but as far as snow blowing, I have to do it at work, so oftentimes I come home from doing it for a little while and then immediately just do it at the house, and uh, yeah, it's been pretty much every single day. I mean, Sunday was the worst of it. For me, but even the last Monday was really bad. Wednesday was really bad. I think I did it again on Tuesday. So I think it's been four straight days of clearing the driveway. I think it's supposed to finally stop tonight, right around now, I think. But I think it's also supposed to pick back up again tomorrow. I don't think we're supposed to get too, too much where I am either. The South Towns look brutal. Um, happy that I don't have to deal with uh, southern the southern tier snow. It looks miserable it looks like a lot to deal with and i don't know where where are you on so i i often help my neighbors at least like sidewalks and if i see someone struggling i'll go over with the snowblower and try to help out i know you're niagara falls i don't know how much helping you do around the neighborhood but like at, at what point if you so my across the street neighbor has you know they just shovel which is fine um but then i don't know i, I feel kind of the necessity to go over and help almost because they are shoveling and they seem to actually really enjoy shoveling. So I don't think it's a, a real headache for them, but like it, I feel like at some point you need to be punished for only owning a shovel in Buffalo. Like if you want a snowblower, which I feel like most people should own, if you have a house in Buffalo, uh, you know, at, at what point do you have to just go, go and get one where I'm not going to help you if you just keep shoveling and looking slightly sad because you're forced to shovel. Go, go buy a snowblower. Yeah. Um, for me, I do my own driveway. I will do both of my neighbor's sidewalks. And since I'm one house away from the corner, they get like the in front of their house and then down the whole side street. But the plows have recently just destroyed that corner. So I can go down to the corner, but I can't make the turn because all the snow is just it, it's impossible. It's over my head. <laughs> so I can't do that. Yesterday, though, I did see my one neighbor. She was shoveling around her van and then pulled out, and I went, I'm going to be the nice guy. I'll just go snowblow the area where her van sits because it doesn't go all the way in the driveway. It's kind of like right by her front door. So I did that little thing, and then she comes home, and you know her driveway's out clear. Back before that house was lived in, it was vacant for like, I don't know, 12 months. 
because there used to be an old little lady there that lived there and I used to help her out. But I used to like mow their grass and and snow blow their driveway and everything when nobody was there just because, you know, you wanted to make it at least appear that somebody was living there. Sure. And I don't want home values to drop and plummet because my neighbor's house got ransacked next door. So good guy, PK over here, just trying to take care of the neighborhood. But um, my biggest complaint is I live in Niagara Falls. So originally that's one of my complaints, but they have a skeleton crew snow blowing right now or snow plowing right now there's six guys that do it for the whole city pretty much i get snow blow or snow plowed um at like two or three in the morning so even if my driveway is all set to go my cars are all brushed off like we did that yesterday i brushed off brooks car i brushed off mine the car the driveway was completely spotless of any snow and then when i wake up at 6 a.m to let the dogs out i look at the end of the driveway and there's a foot of snow at the end of it and i just go gotta be kidding me i didn't account for this time frame so that's my biggest complaint but usually i snow blow my own and then i take care of the drive or the sidewalks in front of my neighbor's house and then if it's really really bad i'll do the end of their driveways after the plows go through but i agree with you at this point there is a point where you just look at your neighbor and just go dude honestly get a snowblower it's i understand that they can be pricey but the investment is there. Your back oh, will sure. thank you. And the time you will save to snowblow instead of trying to shovel out foot or two of snow uh, is well worth it. And I will say this. I am very thankful that I have not gotten the snow that the South Towns have gotten. Oh, for sure. But just one time, one time in my life, I would like to get what they get in a storm just to feel what it's like. Because I, I feel like living in... Western New York, you get the snow experience and you get that reputation around the country. But unless you really live through it, like you don't, unless you live in like a Lancaster or um, Cheektowaga, uh, Orchard Park or Cheektowaga or anything like that, you West don't Seneca, really, Hamburg. yeah, you don't get the full blast of it. Just once, I want to feel the full blast of it so I can say and at least better emphasize with what people are going through i know brooks probably listening to this down the hall just going you're an idiot why would you ever wish for that but just once just once. if you keep up with it i think you got to take off the day and go out there like every hour but if you keep up with it i feel like you can withstand it it's when it gets over top of your snowblower and you wait too long is when you're in in trouble yeah not to continue this this uh lovely snow rant we're going on but Ashley and I went away, I think it was two years ago now, it was pre-Blizzard. Um, the Blizzard was pretty bad, I think, for you and me, even though we're farther north. I think we we got a lot of snow for that, and that was a lot to deal with. But it was equal in the amount of snow we got. We went away to Corning, um, I think it was two years ago, and it was right before a storm was supposed to hit. And as we were driving, when we drove, it was fine. But as we were driving, there were signs on the throughway saying like oh don't travel if you don't need to and we had already booked this like little weekend getaway it was literally like two days and we were like no we're gonna go anyway and the travel there and back was fine but while we were there um the airbnb where we were staying at got hammered there was snow everywhere and then the drive back wasn't too bad but when we pulled up to the house it was absolutely insane like the amount on my driveway must have been a good two, three feet. So we pulled up after this trip and I just like, we both just started laughing, like just looking at the driveway and there was no way to pull in. There was no way to get the side door open. We actually had to go to the front door because there's steps to the front door because the side door just wasn't going to happen. 
and it took uh, me and then my neighbor came over to help me after a little while. It was like she was chopping it down in order to do it. The neighbor that came over, he was like going up. You know, you have to sometimes do like two levels of snow blowing where you're going like on top of the pile and then the pile again. It was it was a lot of that. So it was like two layers of a snow blower that it took. It took. A long time, uh, but that was probably one of the worst that I really felt it here, and that was definitely one of the ones where I was like, all right, so this is what they get pretty much every time, not just once a, once a year at best. Yeah, that's what, that's what I mean. I, I want to feel that one blast just once. It was rough. But I, I mean, it was funny, I, but it was right. rough. Yeah, it's just I, I want to be able to say I've went through it, not just, hey, I got a little portion of it, but that's just me. I'm, I'm an idiot that actually likes snow blowing, so uh, I just got to get better gloves. That, that's my main issue, and then the other day when the wind was blowing at your face, I haven't come up with a pattern to get rid of that, and I'm not doing one of those stupid shields in front of your snow blowers. I want the full experience. I'm not hiding behind a piece of plastic, but uh, enough of the snow talk. Um, keep I'm going. sure everybody that's listening to this was affected in some way by the snowstorm, so hopefully everybody's staying safe, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more snow in just a second here. But remember, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Buffalo Sports Collective, and uh, and on X and Blue Sky at Buffalo Sports Code. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Remember, Tuesdays, Phil's article drops every... I'm sorry, after every Bandits game, he reviews it, more stuff we didn't talk about on the show, more stuff he wants to do in depth that we talked about on the show, whatever it is that comes out on Tuesday, and then my power rankings come out on Thursday. You can visit that, like I said, at buffalosportscollective.com, and look for the time breakdowns in the description of the show. There'll be two of them for today's show before we dive into the bills. Remember, Monday's show is going to be released on Tuesday because of the Bills game that's late on Sunday. We're not recording it at 10 o'clock. We're recording it around like 4, 4.30 on Monday because I have a early soccer game because of the blizzard that happened on Wednesday. They pushed it, so yippee for us. Um, yeah, let's talk Bills. Bills, Chiefs, Sunday, 6.30. Uh, what is this, uh, 17th? thousandth time that we're facing the, the bills are facing the chiefs but this time it is in buffalo good luck to patrick mahomes first row game of his career in the playoffs uh phil what are your thoughts on the game uh bills mafia better be loud and make it ridiculously uncomfortable for that team make um, it loud even before they're in the huddle because i heard this on wgr they are having issues communicating and getting the plays in on time so if the if the stadium is loud when they're trying to get the plays in, that can also affect them rather than just, you know, in the huddle, communicating and at the line. You want to be loud the entire time they have the ball to try to disrupt that. I say the whole time the Bills are on defense, just be loud. Like yeah. you, I mean, for all these injured defensive players, the fans need to pick up them by being super loud and disrupting the Chiefs offense and Mahomes and his first ever road game for some reason i have this thought all the time with Kansas City. I don't know why i consider Kansas City warm. I know it's not and I just feel like it is for some reason. Like whenever they think of Kansas City and like them having to play there, I'm like, oh, it's a warmer climate. It's not at all. And it was miserable for them last week. So it's not really a weather afflicted team. They understand how to play in the frigid temperatures, but they don't really understand how to play in a way playoff game. So make it loud, make it uncomfortable. But I'm going to not talk about the bajillion injuries that uh, the Bills defense is piling up because the Bills defense has kept this team alive pretty much the last six games that they've won in a row now, and 
I think at this point, it's up to the offense to me in this game to like, you understand what your defense is going through. You understand they're hurting. It's going to be a tough offense. Even if they're struggling, it's still Mahomes, still Kelsey, still Pacheco. Like they have plenty of weapons. Uh, Rashi Rice is really coming on at the end of the season here. So they have plenty of weapons to put up a lot of points if they need to. I think in this game, it's going to be up to the Bills defense or the Bills offense to really just go out there, put up a ton of points, take some of the pressure off your defense for once that has kind of been holding this team together, even through all their injuries for a long time now. They've been doing a really, really nice job winning a lot of these close games. The offense has been hit or miss or ugly, and I think it's time that the offense steps up and finally takes over, especially in this kind of game like Allen and Mahomes. It's going to be a big rematch for, like you said, the one billionth time. We all remember how uh, Allen is doing against Mahomes in playoffs, so... I think this one is going to be a big Allen game, big offense game. Like, go out there and just run up the score, bury this team, don't keep it close. I think the it's, I mean, kind of like any team, but the longer that the Chiefs can stay in this game and the longer that your defense kind of gets tired and worn out with their injuries, the more problems you're going to have. So I think you need to really make this an offensive-focused game, put up a lot of points, and just kind of run away with it rather than have an offense that is still struggling at times to capitalize on drives, finish drives, and has looked a little bit ugly over the last few weeks. And it, like, if that is the kind of offense that's going to run out there, I think the Chiefs can hang in there and make it a very tense, nervous, terrifying fourth quarter. But I think this is a big offensive game where they just have to really take over and finally take some pressure off that defense. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, the defense has done such a phenomenal job. And they're a, like I already mentioned already, a skeleton crew. They're a skeleton crew on defense. Uh, You're hoping you're getting Douglas back. You're hopefully you're getting Dotson back and then maybe one or two other guys back if you're lucky. you Your defense is going to do what they need to do. And Sean McDermott has been unbelievable producing what he's been able to do with the defense that he currently has, even though he keeps losing guy after guy after guy. It's up to the offense. And honestly, at this point, Kansas City's offense is not the same Kansas City offense you you have seen in the past. They're just plain not. I mean, they've put over in the 18 games, including the playoff game that they just placed versus Miami. Phil, how many times have they scored over 30 points this year? Oof, not. I know their average is real low. I'm going to say twice. Three times. Ah. Once week three versus Chicago, they put up 41. Week seven versus... uh, uh, the Chargers, they put up 31. And then uh, the 12th, week 12 versus the uh, Raiders, they put up 31 points. If the Bills can put up 30-plus points, I think they're winning this game. I th- I honestly think it's the first team to 30 is going to win this because, yes, Kansas City has an improved defense. And, yes, you're still going against Patrick Mahomes. And, yes, they didn't have Pacheco the last time he faced Buffalo in week 14 where he lost 20-17. to Yes, Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes. Yes, Kelsey is still Kelsey. Yes, Rashi Rice has come on late. I honestly just don't think that Kansas City can score if Buffalo's offense does what I think they are capable of. And we've been saying that for how long now, and you know, we've kind of right. gotten a shaky uh, hit or miss. It's, it's always nerve-wracking when Buffalo plays. But if they can put up 30 points, I think they can roll Kansas City. And this is not me trying to be overconfident. If they have a game like Dallas where – Yes, it might not be the running game that does it. Maybe it's the passing game. But if you can get over 30 points, I really think you're going to walk out and you're going to be either going to Baltimore 
or you're having another home game versus Houston. I, I If you put up 30 points, I think you're walking out of here victorious. But the biggest matchup, like you said, for the offense is going to be can Diggs get the you know upper hand on Snead because Snead has been a lockdown corner. And Diggs has not had a Diggs-type game in a very long time. And that's not saying that they need Diggs to have a big-time game with Shakir coming on and Kincaid coming on and Cook coming on and and all these other pieces sprinkled in. But if Diggs can go out for, like, what, a buck 20 and a touchdown, I think the rest of your offense is looking really good. So if you can get Diggs involved early more than just that behind-the-line-of-scrimmage pass, you can get him and hit one of those deep shots. Please, for the love of God, hit a deep (laughs) shot. I think Buffalo can roll Kansas City, and this is not me being overconfident. I, I'm very nervous. I think this is going to be a very tight game, but if if you can get Diggs rolling early, I think you can withstand anything that Kansas City throws at you. Yeah, Snead coming into this game a little banged up. He's had two limited practices with some kind of calf injury, so hopefully he's not 100% for the, uh, the Bills game. I'm sure he will be fine and out there and playing, but hopefully he's just not quite at 100. Diggs... Had a vet rest and then did not practice, so that's weird. It's his foot, but I think he should be fine. As yeah, long as he I, puts I in at least a limited playing. on Friday, I'm not worried. Right. So, overall, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm over talking about the defense holding this team together with all their injuries. Like, I, I just, I need the offense to take it off and, and run away with the game. Even this last one, I know the offense did a good job by the end and put up a lot of points, but still, I mean, the, the defense only allowed 17. I know it got a little bit scary at times when they were starting to catch up a little bit, but they still allowed less than 20. So once again, it was a kind of defensive win, even though the offense did put up 31, which is good to see and good to see the offense have success. So I think, I think we both agree that this is just going to be, it just needs to be an Allen game. Like, Allen, this is the kind of game I need him to put the entire team on his back, go out there, put up, like you said, 30, 30, 31, 32, whatever, 30-plus points you got to put up and hope the defense can hold with their injuries as best they possibly can. But I need the offense to go out there and ball out and take it take it for the Bills. And, again, I think the fans are going to have a pretty big impact in this game, so hopefully they are loud and proud. Yeah, I mean, we said it for the longest time to win the Super Bowl with where we thought they could be. I mean, starting with the 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 Kansas City Chief game that started this run, uh, that was win one in a row, and we said, okay, you got to win nine in a row to win the Super Bowl. They've won six in a row now. Uh, this is going to be win seven if they take down Kansas City. Next week would be win eight, and then the Super Bowl would be win nine in a row. So they've gotten six of the nine done. They got three more to go. But the the other biggest thing in here is, yes, you're relying on the offense, but you need another don't shoot yourself in the foot type of game. You were able to avoid that for the most part against Pittsburgh besides the the block field goal, which, I mean, that does happen, especially in that wind and the, the weather. You're going to have to have a line drive kick. We're not going to go over that, but... As long as they don't shoot themselves in the foot by costly turnovers and costly fumbles and dumb interceptions and stuff like that, I I think this could be a game where Buffalo could walk out of here and look for, you know, their first AFC championship appearance since what was it, 13 seconds? Actually, I don't even think 13 seconds was 13 seconds was divisional. Last time they it was the the other Kansas City yes. loss. So, yeah, uh 
they haven't been back there in a while, Phil. It's uh, it's been a while. This is a, this is a, another. This is where you were last year when you lost to Cincinnati. They've made it back to the spot they were last year against all odds. But this is why being the upper seed was better because Kansas City has to come to Buffalo now. So we'll look. We'll that's pretty much all we, we have. For move them. on from that. Um, yeah. I asked you last time about McDermott's aggressiveness on fourth downs and everything, but with this one. If Martin ends up playing, because I assume if you're going to kick field goals, you'd rather have Martin because he's been holding for bass all season long. And I assume that kind of thing, you don't really want to screw up in playoffs. So if he's not 100 percent, but they put him out there to do the best he can, do you think they will go for it more often on fourth downs if he's not truly 100 percent? Obviously, if you're you know on your own 20, I don't expect them to just be winging it, but. Do you think that they go for it more often on fourth down, even if it's like fourth and five, if they don't think their punting game is quite up to what it should be? Yeah, I think that could be part of it. You did see Martin punt right out of half, and he had a really good punt, but your adrenaline's going. It's a bit different trying to punt, you know, a week after hurting your hamstring. Right now, the six injury is after, like yeah, set in. Right, right after you got your adrenaline pumping, they probably gave him some kind of shot to get back out there and keep punting. It will be interesting to see if they use him or Hack, who they re-signed, but I think they re-signed Hack because he's got experience holding it as well, and right. I think that's a big part of this as well. But yeah, I, I could see him being as aggressive as he's been in recent weeks, maybe like the Miami game where he was that aggressive, because it is doer die in this type of game you don't want to go overboard where like you were saying on their own 30 fourth and three are they going to go for it probably not but if it's on their own 40 fourth and one i can see them doing the whatever they're calling it the snowplow or the tush push that, or so that's another whatever. thing like that seems to be getting risky to me they stop going to the left stop, change it up and go to the right just <laughs> once yeah they they got stuffed um pretty much twice in that Steelers game once they actually didn't make it the other time he was Allen, yeah, was literally sideways and surfed over the uh, over the pile to the first down. So yeah, you got to mix that up. I know Hertz and the Eagles can do it really well, even though they got also stuffed in their game finally. But yeah, you got to go to the right, go farther left, make a sweep, something. You got to mix that up. I think it's starting to not work quite as efficiently as it should, especially if you're going to do it like you just mentioned on your own 40, your own 35, because it's fourth and one. You're like, we got this, you know, we're not going to be stopped, but you got to mix it up a little because it is not going as well. And then when he jumps, I, I get the surfing aspect, but that also doesn't seem to really be helping that much because then your legs are off the ground, especially for a guy like Allen, who's huge and has massive legs that can drive forward. I think him being up in the air doesn't really help the situation that much. So Hopefully they mix that up just a little bit. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying shy away from it, but just switch it up a, a smidgen. Yeah, two things with that real quick. Um, Talladega Nights where he uh, gets inverted and he's upside down. That's all <laughs> I could think whenever Josh Allen jumps. And then the second thing, maybe they've been just going left this whole time to set up for Sunday evening when he goes right. And it's he very possible. It. It's, it's very, very possible. possible. But uh, we'll look around the rest of the league because three games are happening before this game does. Texans take on the Ravens 4.30 on Saturday because the Bandits play on Friday. You get to watch a full Saturday game of either lacrosse or uh, playoff football. Packer, or, I'm sorry, Packers versus the 49ers Saturday at 8.15. And then right before the Bills kick off, the Bucks who defeated Philly and the Lions Sunday at 3 p.m. So three massive games. And like I said, 
you'll the the Buffalo Bills and their fans will know are they headed will the opponent be heading to Baltimore or have a home playoff game versus the Texans going into Sunday evening. Yeah, sadly I have very boring I mean, you know, judging by what we did last time with our predictions, I have the home team winning all of those, which is lame. Same. Uh no upsets, but I mean, I don't really see too many upsets in there. I mean, I don't know what the Packers are. Texans, I guess, could be interesting against the Ravens. Their offense has looked pretty legit recently, so that could be an interesting one, potentially. Yeah, yeah, Packers, I just don't see them holding up against the 49ers and the Bucks. I don't know what the Eagles are doing in that game. I don't know if you watched the highlights of that one. Oh, I did. Yeah, my I, I don't get it. Goodness. What a terrible, like if the Bills did that, I, I don't even think we'd talk about them next game. Be like, all right, let's just move on to next year. Like, I'm not talking about that game. Wow. <laughs> embarrassing. That was so, so embarrassing. But anyway, we don't talk about that. But yeah, so the Bucks, I don't know if they're good or not, or the Eagles simply beyond imploded. I don't know what that was. So I, I think the Lions will take that one too. Yeah, go Texans. Go Texans. Yes. That's all I got to say, because yeah. uh, Ravens yep, 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 uh, yep. with Lamar Jackson and that defense don't want to face you. So uh, before we move on, I have one slight beef with the Buffalo Bills, and I can be pretty understanding. I, I understand, and this is where I was talking about there's going to be more snow talk. I understand last week, you know, the the issues with the stadium, getting that ready. I understand that, you know, a lot of the, as many people went there to help out and, you know, get paid and lunches and dinners and all that kind of stuff. I get it. I get it. I, I understand that. It was a massive amount of snowfall, even right up to game time. So this is not me attacking last week whatsoever. This is me attacking the overall general theme of it. And I'm not even going to talk dome part because it's a waste of time. Everybody's talked about dome no matter what. I know the game still would have been moved even if there was a dome because it was safety issues getting to the stadium. I get all that. This is not me fighting that whatsoever. This is me talking about a team who is a billion-dollar organization that is relying on their fan base to shovel out their stadium. I understand even if there's other things more important than shoveling out a stadium, there's more important things getting streets plowed and people uh, keeping their house warm, all that kind of stuff. My main thing is if you are going to rely on fans to do this kind of stuff, how don't you have some type of equipment like the Packers have, that they have a snowplow that's a custom-made snowplow that fits in between the seats to help. When you have shovels, I don't care how many people you have, you're not going to be able to shovel out a 70,000-seat stadium. It's not going to happen. So why can't you have these custom-made snowplows that you've had this stadium since the 70s? You've had one that was an open-air one since the 60s. Why don't you have these things built and then pay people to come and use them? So then you don't even have to hire a company. You can still pay the fans to come in and do it, but you just give them a snowplow instead of a shovel. Because I saw the videos of people in the 300 section last week. I don't understand how they were allowed to let people in there when it was that dangerous. People had to slide down the stairs because it was so icy. Like... How don't you have some kind of system set up in place? And again, this is not just me bashing last week because I get it. All the snow happened right overnight. This is me talking about a 50 to 60 year history of them having to do the same things. What's the definition of insanity, Phil? Doing the same thing over and over and expect different results. You're not going to be able to get the stadium ready, even if you have people coming out at 10 o'clock on Friday. 
It's not going to happen. They're not going to be able to get it ready because more snowfall is supposed to fall on Friday and Saturday. It's not going to happen. So just get a, a custom-made snowplow. You're a billion-dollar industry. You can afford many, many, many snowplows. And then just hire the people to come and say, hey, $20 an hour snowplow. We'll have other people do the stairs for shoveling, and then we'll throw salt everywhere. Guess how much faster you'll get the stadium done. Guess how more efficient you'll get it rather than just people throwing it in a tunnel and trying to killing everything up. It's just, again, not bashing last week. Completely understand the situation. Can't really hire a company to do this when they have other jobs and more important jobs than get a stadium ready. But this is a 60-year thing that has been growing, and it just it came to the head when I was seeing those videos of how dangerous that was for some of these fans. Yeah, I feel like you should have maybe not a company per se, but like your grounds crew uh, should be like an emergency grounds crew that you have kind of like, not I don't know, on retainer, but like, you know, like, Hey, if you guys sign up for this, you know, and we have this emergency situation, we can call upon you to come and do it. And maybe they have the ability to use said snowplow. And just so everyone understands that, you know, in case they miss PK say that Green Bay does have these snowplows. PK is not asking for a uh, invention of a snowplow that can go between the seats. It does exist. Green Bay uses it. So, yeah, why the Buffalo Bills can't also just buy the same snowplows that... Green Bay uses to help clean out their seats. I don't know. And then, yeah, just to have no plan in place other than fans, can we get you? Because, I mean, even for the fans, like how many people can get there if the storm's that bad that you need fans to help shovel out a stadium? Like, okay, if that is where you're at in the need of, you know, what snow removal, the fans probably can't get there to unearth the stadium because it's really bad outside. So, I don't know. It, it just seems it's weird for, like you said, a billion dollar corporation. It's a weird situation that that is the solution and the one they're going with. Like you said, the people that were finally got to the stadium and I saw a few videos, of people just like nothing was uncovered still. And they were just literally like pushing through the snow to get to their seats and then had to stay in the whole game because their seat was covered. And again, like you said, I understand that it all dropped at once in order to have this game at all. They pretty much had to do what they had to do. But again, the safety aspect, it's just it's weird that your go to system is to hire fans that are probably risking a little bit more than they should to get to the stadium to help unbury. It just it's weird. And the fact that, again, like you said, a snowplow out there exists to help in these situations and you don't own it or multiples of them. It's just I don't know. It's weird. Like you said, it's it's not just from this past weekend. It's years and years and years and years of snow in Buffalo. I mean, we're we're not unused to this at this point. So find a, a better system than that. Yeah. And uh, especially since your next stadium right across the street, still in the snow belt and it's still open air. <laughs> right. So uh, let's all put our heads together and you know, use a little bit more common sense than just it was a cute gimmick uh, the first couple times, but it's getting old. You know, relying on your fans, paying them twenty bucks an hour to come out here and try to shovel Which, out. Which again, for the fans that want to do it, go have fun. Yeah, good, but, good on you. More power to you. But right, it's just it's but it should, stupid. It, that should yeah. be your bonus help, Last not your resort. right, yeah. not what you're relying on. Like you should have a crew there that, like, okay, these are. Are snow removers, but guess what? We just got you know a foot of snow last night. We're gonna need help now. We can ask for the fans, but have 
them as a bonus, not your main source of snow removal when you make this much money as an organization. It's just, it's weird. It's very weird. Like, yeah, when, uh, if, yeah, when we can think of this idea and like for a retail store, like if Tops was going to shut down or Wegmans was going to shut down and they're like, all right, the only way we can stay open is if we have our customers yeah. come on <laughs> down and clear out our parking lot. Like what? No, no one's going to do that. Cause that's ridiculous. And that's exactly what the bills are asking <laughs> their fans to do. And then, on top of that, pay a ton of money for a playoff game where your seat is likely not covered and you got to go there and plow through snow yourself to to get to it. Just yeah. weird. Uh, Just have weird. Fun. <laughs> have fun, everybody that's weird. going to the game on Sunday. Cause but if you are going, be you, loud. Be loud. Yeah, be loud, but the chances of you having a seat that's not covered in snow, very thin. Good, good luck to you. That's why I watch my games from my own warm couch. But, but we we'll do move appreciate on. those that go. We, we do, we do, we and I don't envy you whatsoever. I don't wish I was you, and I'm perfectly comfortable doing what I'm doing now. So, um, no Sabres game. Their game from Thank Wednesday goodness. got postponed because of the snow. They're playing tonight versus Chicago, and then Saturday versus Pittsburgh, or Lightning, I believe. Uh, so we'll talk about both those games on the Tuesday show. Remember, games Monday or Sunday night. We're recording on Monday. Episode will be out on Tuesday. Don't forget, don't be looking for us on Monday, because we won't be there. We're letting you down. But Bandit's here. Uh, big night, Tucker out lymphoma night, huge night, giveaways galore to benefit the Tucker out lymphoma, uh, foundation. Um, foundation. Thank you. Thank you. I don't, I don't know why I was struggling with that word, but Sorry. yeah, there, there's going to be sign lacrosse balls there. The jerseys off the backs, but I don't believe they're going to be off their backs. You don't get them that night. There's a bidding process. So go bid on those. The riptized jerseys are for sale as well. I know our friend, Sam, just got one last year. He bid for it, won it on, in his seat last year. But a huge, huge night, and it just proves that there's more important things than just the game on the floor, that there are you know, real humans underneath those jerseys, and there's real life that goes on well beyond the game. Yeah, I'm really glad that. And I know it's been a huge talking point for, obviously, multiple years now, but Sean Williams not being part of the team anymore, but the team – continues to carry out this evening it's really amazing that they did that and you know didn't just because he's gone like okay now we can stop that night or you know we're going to stop that night and let them carry it on wherever it's amazing that they continue this night despite Sean Williams not being a part of the team or organization anymore obviously he still does his video tribute sometimes he's there himself he understands how big of a night it is obviously and uh it's still just an, an amazing honor an amazing game for both teams and like you mentioned, just what they raise for it, the awareness for it. It's just such an incredible night that I hope never goes away because it's something that will likely for quite a long time until modern medicine leaps uh, a, ton, <clears throat> a ton. Um It'll be around, sadly, most likely for a little bit longer at least. So, I mean, nights like this that can help in any way, shape or form to these kind of situations uh, for the families, the victims and everything. It's just, it's a, it's a tough one to go through, but excellent that the bandits continue this night, despite Sean, you know, kind of moving on with his lacrosse career elsewhere. Yeah. And uh, I just checked Vegas is not playing this week. They have a buy. So I would not, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if he is in attendance. Only thing would be possibly the weather. It, it could be the weather, but it should. Uh, yeah, that's is supposed to possibly clear night, up. But so. yeah, we'll see. We'll see. He yeah, could we'll be in attendance. We'll we'll he could be in attendance. He could have planned to be in attendance and the weather doesn't doesn't abide. But yeah, this is a phenomenal night. Bandits go all out for this. It's one of those nights that if you do have the ability to go, 
it's one of those things that I would go and experience firsthand because they are first class with these type of nights. And it's uh, it's definitely a memorable night for everybody in attendance and especially the, Tuck- or the Tucker Williams family. So we will dive into the games here. Bandits versus Riptide Friday at 730, a uh, Friday night game. You know my feelings on Friday nights, but I also understand their availability in the arena. I get it. I don't want to dive into that. I just don't like Friday games because I don't think the atmosphere is as good as Saturday night games, and I know there's a bunch of people that feel the same way. But the 1-4 New York Riptide come to Bandit Land to face the 3-2 Buffalo Bandits. New York averaging 10.4 goals for, which is 12th in the league. Buffalo is up to 12 goals for, which is 6th in the league. And then goals against... New York is tied for 12th in the league at 12.8, and Buffalo is in 7th at 11.2 goals against. So quick numbers for you there. Last year, Buffalo took both games in New York and in Buffalo. First one in New York was 16-10, and then the one in Buffalo, one in overtime, 11-10. Yeah, I think the, the big thing with New York is not looking at their record. This is something that has sadly happened to this team for quite a few years now where they're a decent team that hangs in there. I think they had a really slow start to the season. I think these last two games kind of prove a little bit more of what this team can do and not a team to overlook. I mean, like you just mentioned, the Bandits like to keep this team around a little bit more than they should. I mean, winning in overtime and even, I mean, 16 and 10 is a good win. But I think it was the year before that. It was, what, 1918 or 1817, that ridiculous high-scoring game. So this team and the Bandits, they stick around a little bit more than they should. But these last two games, New York beat Philly 16 to 9, and then they lost to Panther City 14 to 12. So those two games... They put up over 12 goals in both, and then obviously the one they allowed 14, the other one they only allowed 9. So I think these last two games just kind of show a little bit more of what this team can do. They don't have the best defense still, but their offense is legit, and I think they had a little bit of a slow start to their season. So the 1-4 and record just, you know, it, it's not a team that you can overlook and bypass and just say, oh, they're 1-4, they're one of the worst in the league, they're a bad team, you're going to steamroll past them. I don't think that this is that kind of team. I think this is a team that will hang around, again, longer than you really want them to hang around, and they have the offense to do it. Yeah, two years ago it was eighteen seventeen game, so you you nailed that. But in week 16, they lost 15-12 to 12, uh, versus yeah. the, the New York Riptide. Not so, as good yeah, as uh, they should be against a team that has correct. routinely finished really bad. <laughs> Correct. But in those games, um, I, I just jotted down some notes. Uh, Bandits, like we said last year, they were very injured, so a lot of these players missed games. But Jeff Teep, 5-9-14, and 14, 36 shots in those two games. Sundown, 3-3-6. Three, three, and six. Kiernan, 2-6-8. and eight. Dunkerley only played in game two. He did not play in the first game. He made 47 saves, 11 goals against. And then Nanakoke, 4 points. He did not play in game two. Kluch, 5 points. He did not play in game one. McKay had 8 points. Burn 3-3 and 6. He left the first game injured. Remember that scary incident and then he didn't play in the following game and then everybody kept saying, oh, he's going to come back. He's going to come back. And then he missed a few more games and that's why you never trust players. Brandon Robinson, the Air Air Robinson game where uh, I went on daily dive and said, Brandon Robinson looked like Air Burn. He missed game two. Buchanan had five points. Smith, uh, here's some numbers for you. 7, 16, and 23 in the two games last year. Uh, yes, I would, I would like to see seven. From Dane Smith, that would uh, sixteen would be, would be great one, too. Yeah, Vince, uh, eighty nine saves and twenty goals against in those two games. Yeah, I think the big three that stand out to me, and it's all because of what was happening last year. So it's going to be hard to see if they'll repeat it. But if they can even 
chip in a little bit of this that they did last year. I mean, McKay, 5-3-8, and eight, he was playing a lot more offense at this point, playing these two games because of Burns' injury and then Cloutier's injury in the other one. So, like you said, Burns left early. I don't know if he was Burns part of one of them, the first one? Uh, those numbers came in game two because a lot, okay. I think he, he left, left the like first really game. Early. Yeah. With like one assist, I believe. Yeah. So McKay, either way, like he, he was stepping up for somebody in those games, especially in the first one where they're missing two lefties. So those numbers are a bit skewed toward his transition offensive side. But if he can do something even similar to that, that'd be really helpful. And then Brandon Robinson, I think it could be a big game from him. I think last game, with it being his first one truly on offense for the first time all year, I think it was going to be a good kind of feeling out game for him, getting himself used to playing full offensive shifts again. But seeing that 3-4-7, and seven, he has that ability, so it would be nice to see him get a couple goals again. And then Smith, again, due to the crippling offensive injuries, he kind of had to take over a little bit more. 7-16 is just insane. But like you said, if he can get 7, obviously that'd be ridiculous because it's a two-goal swing but or two-game swing, but... If he can even get, oh my God, I'm dying. <coughs> if he can get even a few of that, then, you know, if he can get three or four, I think it'd be huge for him and then put up his usual assists like he always does. So I'll let you take care of your business over there. We'll yeah, talk thanks. about the players for New York right now. We'll go over the righties. Connor Kiernan, number 92. Kyle Matisse, the man that you and I both were hoping would oh, come like to Buffalo. So and then we we never thought he would because he's the captain. And then it was the three-way trade. Uh, number 46. Yeah, uh, Stephen Keogh, he came over from Rochester, I believe. Yeah, that was the Rochester deal for uh, Steve or um, uh, uh, the other Orleman that I'm Kevin, Kevin Orlman, thank you, number uh, 28. And then Austin Madronic, number 93. He was the, part of the uh, Kyle Matisse deal as well. He came over from Saskatchewan. And then the lefties, Riley O'Connor, number 9, Larson Sundown, number 68. And then the one and only, number 51, Jeff Teat. Yeah, Teat is uh, really, really good. And I know, again, one of the bigger things about this game is the slow start of New York. It was for Teat as well. He struggled early on, but in the last two games he has had nine goals six assists for 15 points he's really come on strong in the last two games he looks absolutely ridiculous it's going to be very tough to stop him just seeing the different ways he scores the different ways he can very easily fake players out on passing or fake shooting and gets his finds his way inside he makes it look way too easy to get inside in front of the goalie and i I just i don't know his moves he looks too smooth, um, but he's really come on strong the last two games, so he's going to be a scary one. The other one that's really weird to me is Stephen Keogh with 29 shots on goal and only one goal to show for it. I don't, I don't know that. Obviously, it's similar-ish to Dane Smith, where at some point you expect that to kind of self-correct itself, but hopefully, it's not this game. I think it was Kyle Jackson for Georgia that I said that he was shooting a lot but wasn't really scoring. It was something we expected. At some point, he kind of take that next step, and then he did against the Bandits, and I think put in four goals. So that's something we don't want to see Keo do, but the fact that he's shooting 29 shots with only one goal, you got to imagine at some point that's going to correct itself and be a little bit more to the norm of what he can do. So even though he, you know his stats don't jump off the page, I think he's still one you have to keep an eye on given how often he shoots. Yeah, I think Jeff Teat, I mean, it's not fake. I know the offense runs through Jeff Teat. It's going to be a big Dalton Solver game because in the second game we kind of saw, last year we kind of saw Dalton Solver play one-on-one versus him. And 
just kind of almost completely lock him down. Jeff Teeth's still going to get his points. I know he started the season slow, like you mentioned, but the last two games he's kind of stepped up and the offense has looked better the last two games. So obviously when Jeff Teeth's going, the offense is rolling better. If you're able to kind of maintain the secondary scoring that comes from Connor Kiernan and Kyle Matisse and, and Riley O'Connor, if you limit what they're able to do, you're going to stifle the offense and Jeff Teeth is not going to be as effective. I mean, Put Dalton Solver uh, as many times as you possibly can on Jeff Teat and get him frustrated. And if you can do that, the offense will slow down. And I, I, I really believe that you know a guy that's not going to fill out the box score, a guy that you're probably not going to hear his name much, the, a guy that's very, very quiet, goes out there and does his job in a Dalton Solver. I think that's going to be if if the Buffalo Bands are able to limit New York to ten or under, I think Dalton Solver has a massive game. And I think that will, I think that has the possibility of happening in here because of how good he has been this year, locking down some of the good forwards. Like um, Austin Stotts, when you saw him come to town, he didn't have that good good numbers. When um, uh, Georgia came into town and you had Andrew Q and Lyle Thompson and all them, they only scored nine goals. A lot of that is due to the play of Dalton Silver. And that's just not me singling out one player. The whole defense has to, you know, really capitalize. But I really think Dalton Silver, one-on-one versus Jeff T, he can have that edge because we've seen it in the past as long as that's the kind of style of defense they play. Uh, but like I said, limit Connor Kiernan, Kyle Matisse, and Riley O'Connor and, you know, see what that offense really brings. But we'll look at the defense in transition. Brett Noseworthy, number 15 in transition. He's got 36 loose balls, three cause turnovers this year. Jay Thornbear, he is going to be their face-off man. He's having a very good season 69% in the faceoff dot number 75 Ron John number 88 he's got nine cause turnovers on the year Kevin Brownell number eight you know some of these names are familiar because they're former bandits six cause turnovers on the year Damon Edwards he was already ruled out but he's the captain of their team it's going to be a big big loss for New York you saw I think this is his third straight miss game and that's a massive loss on their back end yeah I mean the fact that Thornbird is having a bit of a revival season so far, I think Thank last good. year he struggled quite a bit. Um, he, he just came a little bit closer to league average. I mean, he's 37 years old this year, 36 last year. So he kind of expected a little bit of a downswing, but now he is swinging right back up. He said his career is not over. So faceoffs likely going to go a little bit more toward New York. I think in the last game they won – I think it was 20 of 30, uh, something like yeah, that. Yeah, he was. He went over 3,000 career face-off wins as well. Did hear that. Uh, yes, I was correct. So they won 20 of 30 last game. So they're going to win a little bit more face-offs than the Bandits, but we don't often care about that as much. But the big thing with them, the transition game, which I'm not really seeing a ton of goal numbers, but against um, – Philadelphia in their game when they won 16 to nine, four of their goals were in transition. So they do have the ability to score quickly and score quickly in transition. So it is something you have to keep an eye on. And as far as their defense goes, struggling pretty much the whole year. And they're still not a terrible defense. Like Ron John, they have a decent, decent stay at home defender and him 29 loose balls, nine cause turnovers, which is pretty good to start the season. But overall, they're not doing a great, great job on defense, but they are still Good enough to hang around, but their transition game is something you do have to be a little bit worried about. They can put the ball in quickly in transition. Yeah, I mean, they brought in big names like Mitch Wilde. They brought in, uh, I already mentioned him, Kyle Matisse. They brought in John LaFontaine in the offseason. They got a young budding prospect and Callum Jones as well. They have a lot of pieces, but their defense has not kind of stepped up to what 
we kind of thought they would be. You know, you and I both said they won the offseason with the moves they made, and we really liked what the pieces they were adding around Jeff T. And you even picked them to make their A seed. I'm going to bring this up as much as I can because I was dead wrong two years ago. So you get to live in it now, Phil. But I, I they are a team that can get hot if their offense gets going. And you saw it in the Philly game. And I watched that whole game. Their offense was electric. And yes, Higgins struggled in that one, but their, their offense can play with the best of them because they do have talent. It's about limiting the opportunities they are providing. You can't let them get inside. If this defense goes back to what we saw in the second half versus Rochester and the three games that happened before that versus San Diego, Colorado, and Georgia, I, I really think you're going to be able to take New York you know, behind the woodshed if you if you want to go that dark. But it's it's definitely a team that you don't want to take lightly. They have done that in the past, and it's kind of burned them. But this is a team where you're able to limit their transition opportunities and you're able to limit what the offense does. This should be a game where you can feel good about it after Buffalo walks out of the door. So in net, yeah, before Cam Dunkerley, we move on yeah, to their yeah. um, goalie, New York in the last two games has had, from what I could tell, 12 in tight goals, about 12 mid-range to far. They weren't really far, but I'm going to call them 12 mid-range goals and then only one far. So it doesn't seem like a team that really shoots distance shots and buries them. It's a team that loves to get inside. Teat was at least, what I say, uh, nine of those most likely. So he was probably a good handful of those in tight ones as well. But it's a team that can get inside pretty well, and they don't really shoot a lot of far shots. So Hopefully the bandits are, you know, kind of learn in this kind of game that you want to pack that defense in and force them to shoot those outside shots because it's what Vince likes. And it's something that it doesn't seem like New York really is successful at. So if you can keep them to the outside, you're going to have a lot more success. This is a team that likes to get inside and even those mid range shots can be pretty close. So don't let them get inside, pack the defense in tight, force them outside. And I think you're going to be okay on defense. So in net is the young Cam Dunkerley. I am actually a fan of his, even though his numbers don't back up what I have seen. He's been hung out to dry almost as much as any other goalie in the league because of the one-on-one opportunities he has to face each game. He's one and four with a 12.71 goals against and a 77 or 74 save percentage. But again, he has a very bright future in this league. If he gets better play in front of him and he just hasn't gotten that. And that's why those numbers are inflated as they are. Sorry, that was terrible timing. Um, Yeah, for Dunkley, from what I saw. So in the last two games, he was eight in close, eight mid range, six far. So he was a little bit all over as far as what he's allowing. Those far goals are the ones that I consider more on the goalie than anything. Sometimes they are just absolute snipes and there's only so much you can do, but he does allow a decent amount of mid-range and far goals, so that is something that the Bandits can capitalize on. But um, like you were saying with the in-tight ones, I thought he plays a very strange style when it's 1v1 from what I could tell. like He likes to throw his body kind of at the ball in the situation, and sometimes if the offensive player makes two or three moves, that's when he gets really thrown off because he's expecting that first or second move to be the shot, and if it is the shot, he usually makes these crazy wild really impressive saves but if the offensive player has enough time to throw two or three or four fakes in there that's when he gets really out of position and just kind of you can dunk it over her or dunk it around him because 
at that point he's made his move and you can kind of wait him out. So if the bandits can find a way to get people wide open with pick and rolls, hint, hint, hopefully they do something like that and get someone like Nanakoke wide open or Dane Smith wide open in front of the net that can do two or three moves. I think that's how you're going to beat him in tight. But if it's going to be, you know, the single dives across the crease, that's something that Dunkerley actually is pretty good at. And I kind of agree with you. His numbers don't really back up his ability, but he makes big saves here and there for sure. And he's definitely not a terrible goalie, despite his stats not looking quite as good as maybe they should. Yeah, uh, a few things there. One, he was phenomenal in the Philly game. So that's type of performance that you can hopefully expect out of him when the defense in front of you is really good. You're just not hoping that this week. Uh, two, I really like the uh, dunk on Dunkerley comment Thank you had there. That's a, that was a good one. I did catch it. And then three, the main thing that you mentioned that I was going to mention as well, pick and rolls. Uh, we said it on the last show, uh, Dane Smith, Nana Cook, talking to you. Uh, pick and rolls, please. Uh, that is how you'll get inside on Dunkerley and dunk past Dunkerley. But Phil, we talked about the players to watch, players to know. We talked about history and everything else with this game and uh i didn't pat myself on the back last week and i made it known to the x world or twitter world or whatever you want to say and to you after the show that i was going to make it known on this show phil uh what did i do last week for the predictions i think you have to tell me what you expect to be doing right now is really i absolutely nailed it 100% 100% guaranteed, locked in. I said Buffalo would win 15 to 13. Phil, they won 15 to 13. That is twice I've gotten the perfect prediction. And this time, I didn't have to rely on a Max Adler penalty shot to do it. <laughs> so this one, if you want to say the last one wasn't legit, even though it was, this one was legit as legit comes. So Phil, with that said, and me patting myself on the back looking for a two-game run, what is your prediction for Buffalo v. New York? We have two other quick things. One, yep. how did you spell the word uh, the word gloat, PK? Uh, let's not talk about that. I forgot <laughs> a vowel. Yeah, PK thought the <laughs> word gloat I didn't think. was... Uh... I spelled it as close as I could. I didn't think that's how you spell it. I knew it was wrong. You have to admit, I knew it was wrong. <laughs> But I didn't know how to spell it. I got it as close yeah. as I could. And if you and Pat knew what I meant, which you did, that means I spelt it close enough. Yeah, you were going to try to glot about it. And yeah, there uh, it here you are, glotting away. That G-L-O-A-T, gloat. And um, Spelling. also one quick uh, note about these two teams in general and what New York's done the last two weeks. Big thing that I mentioned that the Bandits need to do a little bit better, stay out of the penalty box. The New York Riptide for the last two weeks are eight of nine on the power play ability. So they are absolutely lighting it up. That is just insane efficiency on the power play. So really have to stay out of the box against this team. They are very, very good at scoring. But at the same time, they have allowed five of six on the penalty kill. So it's a, you know, good and bad. Their penalty kill has not been very good in the last two games, but their power play has been elite. So try to limit the power play opportunities. But as far as my prediction, I think the Bandits can continue their offensive role. And I do think that New York will have the ability to put some goals up. I'm not going to give them a ton, but the Bandits do like finding themselves in penalty trouble. So we'll see what happens with the power play. I'm going to go. I still, I really like 14. I, I got to get away from that number. Um, We'll go 13. 
Man, I was going to say 13-10. I don't even like that score. We'll go 13-9. We'll see what Vince can do. I was seeing if you were going to go three straight weeks of going 14-11. to I almost, like, I I really wanted to. It's such a good-sounding score. Uh, I hate it. Yeah, I, uh, if you want to know what it takes to win, this is what it is. I have them winning 14-10. to So I do have your 14 in there. Yeah, I I was also thinking 14-10 at one point. Dang it. I am looking here, though, Phil. I'm trying to see. Last year, it never happened. They never score what I predict ever. Like, I was never, just seeing if they, they ever have. scored 14 to 11, and I I don't see it. They've yeah, gotten 14 doesn't, once. Doesn't happen. Uh, 14 twice in a losing effort. Uh, that was the first time. Nothing 14 last year. Not at all. Once in the playoff game versus Toronto. There we uh, go. You had them scoring 13. <laughs> and then this year they have not. So uh, twice. twice, or Sorry, three times. One in a winner. One and a loser. I'm sorry. Two and a winner. One and a loser. They scored 14. So yeah, get away from 14, man. Yeah, it's not going to work. Well, we went it's to 13 this time. Although I just picked them 14. So you did. great for me. <laughs> This will be the time they do it, though. Yeah, 13-9, you got 14-10. We each have a plus four goal differential. Hopefully they come in, feel the energy, and beat them. This is, again, we kind of mentioned the schedule coming up for them is going to be tough. So this is a team you cannot overlook because every win in unified standings is huge. So go in there, take care of business, and get out of there. Yep, this is a team you should beat because they're behind you in the standings, and that's what really counts. So... Phil, it is everybody's favorite time. It is the fastest milestone minute. If nobody noticed, I did slow it down a tad last week, but all these possible milestones can be found on Exit Buffalo Sports Co. We post them on the lead up to the game, and because the Friday game, it will be all posted on Friday. It won't be scattered between Friday and Saturday. It's all going to be posted on Friday. So if you missed one of these, you don't want to listen back for whatever reason, you can check them out there. So here we go. If Matt Vince plays on Friday, he will move into sole possession of fourth place in NLL history with 275 games played. Chris Cloutier is one point away from 200 for his career. He averages 3.49 a game. Matt Vince is eight saves away from 10,000 for his career, which is already an NLL record. Chris Cloutier is two shots away from 400 for his career. He averages 6.98 a game. Tohokan Anacoke is two loose balls away from 100 for his career. He averages 2.72 a game. Brandon Robinson is four loose balls away from 100 for his career. He averages three a game. Dane Smith is two cause turnovers away from 100 for his career. He averages .59 a game. If Nick Weiss plays on Friday, he will move into sole possession of eighth place in games played in Buffalo. Bandit's history with 117. Chase Frazier is one goal away from sole possession of eighth place in Buffalo Bandit's history. He averages 1.7 a game. Josh Byrne is one assist away from sole possession of fourth place in Buffalo Bandit's history. He averages 2.94 a game. And then last one, Dane Smith is one point away from sole possession of second place in Buffalo Bandit's history. He averages 5.92 a game. Every time we go through these milestones, and I'm just reminded uh, how absolutely ridiculous Dane Smith really is. Yeah. I mean, Chris Cloutier is a very good player. Like, I think everyone yep. can understand that he is very good at what he does. He's a very good player. He's played in 52 games. That is a lot of games, and he is just coming up on 200 points for his career, which is impressive. Everything he's doing is impressive. He's a great player. Dane Smith has that, in, that and more in just two singular seasons. It's just... 
ridiculous when, when when these things come up and it's like oh chris Gucci, great player one point away for 200 that's very impressive he's good at what he does and then you just think of what dane does that and that and more in two seasons it's just it's insane to realize in these moments how good dane smith is and uh that's not trying to take anything away from chris again really good player hope he gets to 200 for his career and hopefully Burn can get uh, one assist away from that fourth in Bandit's history, and then Dane will steal the entire show like he always does with his one point from second in Bandit's history. But then, like you said last time, you get to not talk about that for a long time because Johnny T is just a smidge ahead of him. Yeah, but uh, the issue is he has a massive milestone coming up within the next three weeks. Because he's sitting at 983 points, so 1,000 points is... Like, uh, that number alone, is that's ridiculous. Yeah, I know, it's stupid. It, it makes no sense. It's he's ridiculous. played in 166 games, and he's got 983 points. It, it's it's stupid. Nobody should be this good at lacrosse. Nobody should be this good at a sport. It's stupid. I don't get it. I'm jealous that he's that good at one certain thing, and I'm not good at a single thing Thank in my goodness. entire life. He's a band. Except for uh, Milestone Minute. I am the best Milestone Minute yep. man in the I world. Will, so I here will. we go. Uh, final thing to talk about on this show, lacrosse, look around. There's four other games in the league this week, and they're all on Saturday. So good luck trying to schedule your Saturday with NFL playoff games and lacrosse games going on. First one's massive game, Georgia versus Toronto. Second one, just as big, San Diego versus Albany. Third one. It's a little bit less interesting, but I am interested in the second team here, Vancouver versus the Rush. I'm interested to see how the Rush rebound after a postponement of a game. And then Calgary versus Colorado, a rematch from the the Western Conference Finals of last year's playoffs. Yeah, the top four there, uh, Georgia and Toronto and San Diego and Albany, both really, really, really important games, really big games, I think. As Bandit fans, we need Toronto and Albany to finally lose, knock them down a peg, both of them. They're both looking a little too good, and I don't like it, so it would be great if Georgia and San Diego could upset. But at the same time, Georgia and San Diego also look pretty good. So uh, no real winning there, but you definitely want the two undefeated teams to lose. And then, like you said, Vancouver and Saskatchewan, I mean, those are both currently bottom teams. We'll see what happens. And speaking of bottom teams, Colorado desperately needs a win, but Calgary also desperately wants to get above 500. So that's going to be another, it's again, it's so weird that those last two matchups, Vancouver and the rush and Calgary and Colorado, like it's so early in the season, but they are almost must win games for every single one of those teams. Colorado and Vancouver need to win in order to get their seasons back on track or at least moving in the right direction. And then same for the rush in Calgary. I mean, Calgary's two and two, but that's not great. I mean, if you lose your two and three, you're still not looking very good. So those are already very, very early must-win games. And the other two, just please knock off the undefeated teams. Well, if it helps, um, we, every Wednesday, the BSC boys, the uh, we pick our BSC matchups and keep track of it all year long. We post them on Wednesday, and then the recap from the following week is also in there. Uh I have picked against Albany all six times. This is the first week I have picked Albany to win. So it's a guarantee. Go bet it and share your winnings with me. San Diego will win. So you're you're welcome, world. You're welcome, NLL. Uh, this is Albany's downfall. I'm going to pick them every time for the rest of the year, and I will sacrifice a win to make Albany fall all the way down to the standings. Yeah, I've been doing really terrible, and I picked an entire week of upsets, so uh, I'm kind of expecting all the upsets not to happen. 
Well, uh, you, you get one because you pick San Diego. I picked Albany. It's going to happen. It's, it's yeah, guaranteed. One it's of a lock. <laughs> but, Phil, uh, we'll wrap this show up. Is there anything else you want to add to this before we both shut this down? I edit and then go shovel again. I am thankful we didn't have to talk about the Sabres tonight. That was exciting. And uh, go Bills. They're, they're still moving. They're still grooving. Go Bills. Go Bandits. Let's have some fun this weekend. Hopefully get another double victory and triple if you count that other team that plays on ice and falls down a lot. Yeah, so on our next show, remember, we'll air on Tuesday because of the Saber, or the Bills. I did it again, Phil, right at the end. Uh, the, the Bills late game on Sunday evening. That will be out on Tuesday, not Monday, so don't look for us there. We're going to be a day late once again. I think this is, what, third or fourth straight week of doing this. But Thanks, Bills. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, not, it's not fun. We'll talk about the two Sabres games on that show as well, and then, of course, the Buffalo Bandits. But if you're out there driving around to either the Bandits game to work, to the Bills game, whatever it is, just make sure you're driving safe. Take it slow. Don't rear-end anybody. It's uh, it's pretty nasty out there every once in a while, and uh, hopefully we're through the worst of it. But drive safe, and we'll see everybody in Bandit Land on Friday night. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Buffalo Sports Collective, and on X and Blue Sky at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Once again, Phil's article is there from Tuesday, recapping the bill or the Bandits game versus uh, the uh, the Rochester Nighthawks from last Saturday. And then my power rankings came out on Thursday, so check that out. Once again, buffalosportscollective.com. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you leave us that review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye bye. <laughs>